0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there. I'm really so glad that you have joined us. And we're in the middle of a series. We're talking about deconstruction and also a sermon series on Sunday called Reconstruction, where we've talk, been talking some about what are some of the things that can cause us to kind of start to doubt or question or have really serious questions about our own personal faith and really what do I genuinely believe. We talk about some of the issues that get us there and how to kind of help and love people through that. And we spent some time just kind of talking about what what, what does it mean to really rebuild rebuild our faith? And so um, we talked about three kind of key critical theological points that I think are essential to anyone's faith, and especially those who are trying to rebuild an authentic, genuine faith, uh, that God is good and he loves you, that it, it is through us and our sin, we together, we all, we broke the world. And that ultimately, Jesus Christ, His life, His death, and resurrection, is what reconciles us back to God. And so we kind of talk about how to, how to, how to do that, how how to rebuild. What does that look like? And again, if you're joining us here on the podcast, hope you are also have been joining us for our uh, sermon series as well. And what we're doing over these, we started this last session. What we're doing for these next next three episodes is spending some time kind of talking about some questions that people can ask that kind of challenge some of these assertions. So last week, we just talked a little bit about the creation story and people have some doubts about it. And that really what, we, what it boils down to is that we need to, even if we don't believe everything that Genesis 1 through 3 says, it is of absolute critical importance that we believe that we are a unique creation by God, um, that he loves and that we're created in his image. Now, in our second week of the sermon series, we spend some time talking about sin and the brokenness of the world, and that as you look around and, and you think about how broken the world is and, and what's happening to it, both literally the literal brokenness of the world and the and the figurative, the moral brokenness, the spiritual brokenness, that it just seems like, and again, I think we can all agree on this statement, even if we all don't necessarily agree as to uh, of the the details, that there seems to be... A lot of brokenness, a lot of sinfulness, that that there is a lot of evil that seems to be rampant in our world today. And we may have different definitions of evil. We may have different ideas about what the most evil thing's going on, but I think I don't think you have to try too hard to say there seems to be an insurmountable amount of suffering um, and brokenness in the world. And so it is very normal. And natural for people when they experience that, even if they are to believe that sin is what caused it, if it is, it is, it is people doing damage to themselves to others and to the world that is causing all of the decay and the destruction, I think it is very normal to say this is this is too much, it is too much bad in the world, and we begin to question whether or not God should be doing something about it. Now, again, I think it is a very normal, reasonable question to ask. Even as we begin to spend some time trying to talk about that in this episode, I would really discourage in people spending too much time emotionally here in this question. Because I think it does something that we see in the story of creation, and you really see it cover to cover in the Bible. You don't even have to go to the Bible. This is in our lives where we are looking for someone else to blame for the consequences of what we've done. We, 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 we did this and we've caused this harm. And if we spend too much time asking God, why doesn't he do something about it? We miss out on really the important thing, which is really the, the responsibility and culpability that individually and we have in what we have built. But that is not to say that it is not a good question because there's this way, and I'll give you kind of the, the classic framing of this here in a little bit. It is not, again, it is a very normal thing. If God If God is so good and he loves us so much, why is the world like this when he could do something about it? And so what this has historically been called is it's been called the problem of evil. And it gets said a lot of different ways. It gets phrased a lot of different ways. It gets answered a lot of different ways but it is a very classic idea that has been debated for thousands of years and my 20 25 minute contribution to this i'm not i i'm I'm, out, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating here it's not going to add a whole lot to the 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 volumes that have been written on this you can't even really begin you can barely introduce the problem in in, in this short period of time but i think it is at least i think at a minimum we can introduce the idea and at least have some initial thoughts to it. Okay, so we'll 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 phrase we'll phrase the question this way. Okay, well I, we'll, we'll make it okay we'll make it like a logic statement, logic state like principle number one. God is all loving. He is a loving, good God. So he, he has a good heart. He has good intentions. He is good. He is loving. He cares about us. So, so God is all loving. Number two, God is all powerful. There isn't anything that he couldn't do. Well, well, We'll say this, consistent with his character, God can do anything. He has all power. He will not violate his own character. There's any, the God God is not limited in his power in any way other than just say just basic character restraints. Okay? So God is all good. He's all loving. Two, he is all powerful. Number three, and this is kind of, you know, people will say this different ways. Some people will say evil exists, but I think it's very easy to like, say that God can be good, loving, and evil exists, not be a problem. We'll say it this way, though, because I think it is more important or it is makes it more significant. An unacceptable amount of evil exists in this world. It's too. It's too much. The the level of evil, uh, destruction, death, problem. I mean, it's 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 at an unacceptable level. Okay, so you've got those three things, and it would seem that those three ideas are self contradictory. That it is not possible for a good God who has power to tolerate an intolerable amount of evil. How does God tolerate an intolerable amount of evil? He is either then not good, not powerful, or doesn't exist right people reconcile this in different ways. so you've got these three different premises, and so how do how do how do we reconcile them and so if you've got three premises, the easiest thing to do is to conclude that one of the three, at least one of the three, isn't true. Some people will use this to say, you put these three things together, and if they're true, they cannot go together. Therefore, God doesn't exist. But there are other ways of kind of reconciling it too. Some people say, like, hey, okay, the first one, God is good. Well, you know, I believe in an all-powerful, I believe in a God of full power, and I do believe them, that the world is evil. And they come to the conclusion that therefore not, God is not good, which again we'll call that the entryway, perhaps to atheism, or the on-ramp to, you know, to, to atheism, the on-ramp to deism that God is not really interested, and so yeah, so a, a deistic God, he may have the power, but he doesn't have the interest. He doesn't. He doesn't love. He is. He is. He is disconnected in some way, or. We begin to believe in a God, even though we may remain theists, we believe in a God whose goal is to punish us and to hurt us in some way. And he doesn't really love us. And then we start thinking about reconciliation with God, not in terms of being reconciled to a God who loves us, but appeasing a God who doesn't. Okay. Or you can go to the second one. God is good. There is evil in the world but God clearly must not be all powerful. And in some ways that could be another off-ramp onto deism where God created the world and it kind of got out of control but there isn't anything he could do about it because he doesn't have the power to do it. There's also a theology theological system out there called process theology where you've got a really good-hearted loving God and he cares about people but in some way he's just he's just limited. He does not have the ability to really Intervene in a strong way into our world, he cannot stop you from hurting yourself. He cannot stop you from causing damage. He's he's a he's a cheerleader. He's a divine cheerleader, and he cares and he would do something if he could, but he can't. He is he is limited in some way. And so we have a God, but I don't want to say it's a it's a lowercase g God, but it's pretty close. it may still be the only one. And so then really, then that kind of starts people, and most processed theologians don't think of God in terms of a separate entity, but more just kind of a divine force in the world, pulling people or trying to draw people towards goodness, but is clearly failing at it. But again, it's because he lacks the power and the ability, not because he doesn't have the heart. Okay, so you got some people who will deny premise one. You got some people who will deny premise two. And there was a time when there were people who were trying to deny premise 3 that um they're really ev- evil is evil isn't real there is no such thing as evil there's really pe- people are basically good everything's basically good ev- everything is fine i don't want to spend a whole lot of time there because i don't think that there's many people anymore kind of with their with their head in the sand that would look around and say well, man this is actually fine this is all fine stop stop making such a big big deal about it okay and so obviously, if you you know you hear these different options, you probably think, I don't think we've landed on one that, that Charlie agrees with, that, that seems consistent with Christian theology. And so the conclusion then, if you're going to put these three premises together and try to come up with a conclusion, rather than pro- you think you've proved one of the premises wrong, the conclusion would be this, God is good, God is all-powerful. There seems to be an intolerable amount of evil in the world. The conclusion would be God has a sufficient reason for tolerating the level of evil that is in the world. You may not know what it is, you may be able to figure out what it is, but God has a sufficient reason to not intervene in the way that we think that he should. So, what is that sufficient reason? Now, it gets said different ways. But very often it gets kind of put into, and I think this is important. I think to at least spend some mental, emotional energy thinking about this. I think is I think is important to think about the trade-off between your freedom and the consequences. So if I commit an evil act, there are consequences to that. To be restricted of the consequences, you know. I mean that. And I think that would be one of those things like to say that that evil no longer has consequences would be inconsistent with the character of God. So evil must have consequences. So then really, if evil must have consequence, then where I want God to intervene is in preventing me from committing the evil act or preventing you from committing the evil act or preventing the most evil people in history from committing their greatest acts. Like that is that is what we need. Like God should have prevented this from happening. I mean, evil should have a consequence. I hope that on some level, we all understand that, that evil has a consequence, right? Okay, well, we shouldn't even be given the choice then to commit acts of such a certain evil or one that will, if you do this and this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. God should have foreseen and known and been able to and should have prevented Someone from doing something. But that necessarily, for God to restrict someone's behavior, necessarily is a restriction on freedom. And so there are choices that you are not allowed to make. There are things that God will not allow you to do because, in his mind, that is too evil. And I think it is worth considering to take a step back and say, would you make that trade would you make the trade and exchange your freedom for there being less evil in the world and i think on the one hand a very simplistic answer would be absolutely i would make that trade 10 times out of 10 it's not it's it's a no brainer except that we make the we've been making the op- opposite decision our whole lives from the time that we were toddlers and had the ability to move on our own all the way through elementary school and pre-adolescence and adolescence and post-adolescence into college, even to early adulthood, we have spent our entire lives telling our parents, our teachers, everyone who is an authority of us, you don't get to tell me what to do. I want to make my own mistakes and I want to learn from my own mistakes. I want to do what I want to do. You can't tell me we we live lives where we consider anyone who is trying to restrict our freedom, even if it is for our own good, we consider people like that to be part of the problem. Our parents, you know, leaders, you know, people, you know, police officers. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to go too far on the internet. You don't have to get too neck deep in the internet to get, no matter left, right, or middle, to have these people having conversations that it is, it is, it is better to allow people to make bad choices than to restrict their freedom. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about um, sexuality. It doesn't matter if you're talking about uh, guns and violence. You're talking about war. You're talking about issues around life and abortion and adoption and those kinds of things. That it is inappropriate for government or people, people in leadership to restrict freedoms, even if it has a bad consequence. And people will jump all over the map as far as what they think about that, depending on their political opinions about the particular issue. But I think there's enough confusion and there's enough controversy, there's enough diversity there to help us understand that it's not so clear cut. Where should freedom end for, quote, the greater good? How much freedom is the right amount of freedom to give up in order to achieve a greater good? I don't think that we collectively agree on that. I don't think that you could get any number of people to agree on that. And so for us to be able to say, I know absolutely for certain where the line is and we have crossed it, I think is disingenuous. Now, we may all collectively decide on some level, well, well, this is definitely it. God should be restraining evil. Who's to say that he's not? I would imagine he probably is. God is restraining evil. This is what God is doing. He is restraining evil in the world. He is active in the world, which should, in fact, scare us to death, that the God of the universe is, in fact, restricting evil. The second thing that I would like to say about it is, I think God should restrict, he should limit evil. We see him doing that. That is, in fact, the story of Noah's Ark. It is the story of the Tower of Babel. It is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God looked at a certain amount of evil and said, I'm I'm not going to tolerate any more of that. We see it in the exile when he had the Babylonians come and conquer his people. There are several moments in biblical history where God says that's too far and he begins to do something about evil. The, co- the conquest of Joshua, the, and when, when they would go from town to town and they would wipe out these towns, it was a judgment on the evil of these places. And so all of those instances, let's just specifically with Noah's Ark. When you say God should restrain evil in the world, are you saying you want more Noah's Arks? No, that's not what we're saying. Again, there when when God does it, it doesn't feel good. And so I think it is important for us to say, okay, it's not so clear cut where the line should be. We don't really want God to, we don't really want God to judge evil, but I don't really necessarily want him to restrict my behavior either. And so we've got God again, what he's doing is balancing some principles. That we don't necessarily have a better answer for again you can you can say well i don't I don't think this is it, and then we have to decide whether or not we trust God or not is really what this is ultimately going to come down to because there's another thing that that God talks about when he's and again it's 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 in passages around predestination and just even me bringing up predestination is is going to be a problem. And so I don't necessarily want to get lost in predestination, but there's, there's something that God says that I think is, is important. Verse 22 of Romans chapter 9, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of mercy? What if God is tolerating an overwhelming amount of evil because he wants to show you how gracious and kind and merciful he is? If God only tolerates a little bit of evil, then he is only a little bit gracious and merciful. But if God is tolerating huge amounts of evil and is willing to forgive that, he is demonstrating to us the overwhelming amount of his grace and his mercy, and his compassion. He is demonstrating to all of us how compassionate and merciful and gracious he is. And so we add to these premises, he's, all, he's good and loving. He is powerful. He is also merciful. He also wants to demonstrate the fullness of his character to us. He is also holy, which I think is important. He is also set apart. He is intolerant of evil and separates, and evil things separate themselves from him. And so he is essentially letting people go on his own because of his intolerance for evil, right? There are lots of different pieces to this. God values freedom. He wants a genuine relationship with us, not born out of obligation, but one based on us choosing to follow God. So there are a lot of different pieces to this. If God wanted to create stuffed animals that when you pulled their strings said, I love you, he could have. If God only wanted to create majestic mountains that reflect his glory and his beauty, he could have done that. If he only wanted to create animals who really do not have the capacity for sin, but just just act based on instinct, a dog never gets in trouble for not, it's always a dog. From God's perspective, a dog never fails God. A dog always is a dog. But God chose to create us in his image as moral beings who have choice, who have freedom, and he wants us to choose him. And even in those who don't, and he ends up having to tolerate a lot of evil, even in that, he is wanting to demonstrate his grace and kindness and mercy and compassion to us. And it is, in fact, a loving God, a loving parent's choice to allow a certain amount of freedom to allow someone to live out the consequences of their own actions, to come to their own realization of the importance of the standards. And this is what God is allowing all of us to do. And again, it is very normal and natural to say, I don't think this is how I would do it. I don't necessarily like the way that he is doing it. Very normal and natural to say that. But the last thing that I will add to this is if I if I were pointing to you, it's like, you know, everything God does makes perfect sense to me. Everything God does completely and totally aligns with me and what I think. He's never done anything that would make me question him. He makes all the same decisions that I would make. Let me tell you, you're worshiping yourself there and you are crafting God into your image rather than recognizing that you're created in his. If there's never a point in which you're like, I don't think that's what I would do. I don't. If there's never anything like that, you're not really worshiping God. A God that you can fully understand is not God. A, f- a God who does everything the way that you think you would do it, that's not God, that's you. And so I think it's important for us to wrestle with these sorts of questions, but ultimately they all are going to have to lead us back to a place of genuine trust. I do I trust God. I trust him even though this isn't what I would do and I don't fully understand it. It seems out of character for who I think God is or should be. I I defer to him and hopefully and I believe this. I believe there will be a time when who got when 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 more we will understand more of the whys of of what he did and who he is and his character but that is for another time and another life. And so between now and our time with God in heaven, I think we are ultimately left with trust and allowing these questions to deepen our understanding of the complexity of who he is, the complexity of our relationship with him, but ultimately then to a deeper level of trust with him. Again, volumes, volumes of books have been written on this and you get maybe 15 minutes of just kind of reflection. And so I know we've just scratched the surface and for every question I seem to answer, you have three more. The, the, this has always been, it's the, it's the hydra of, of theological questions. Every question you answer, you cut it off and it creates two more in its place. I get that. And so if you have more questions or would like to talk about it further, if you know me in real life, come up to me and ask me. We can talk about it. Or send me an email at charlie at I'd love to hear. Um, otherwise, I encourage you, man, just join us back next week. We're gonna spend some time. We're talking about Jesus being the answer to the problem. Is he the only one? And is it does it make sense that God would be the on, that Jesus would be the only way for us to be reconciled back to God when there's so many other religions and philosophies out there? So we'll spend a little time talking about that as well in our next episode. So I encourage you to join us for that. And also, again, just to join us for our sermon series that we're doing that's going along with this. You can find all the information you need about our services at thegrovechurch.org connect. Our service times, we'd love to see you in person or you can join us online as well. Everything you need about that is right there. Either way, we'd love for you to fill out that form and let us know that you're listening. We'd love to know that you're out there in any way that we can support you, please let us know. Again, I'm Charlie Lofton, lead pastor, and thank you so much for joining us.